0: Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome back and today I'm pleased to have two lovely ladies with me from the Community Innovation Hub. Uh, One is located in Toronto and the other is located in Guelph. So we have Carla Leon and Colleen Lewis. And I want to start out, ladies, with a little background on you in terms of your uh, academic background and your work experience. So, Carla, let's start with you.
1: Thanks for having us today, Peter. Um, so I'm Carla Leon, and uh, I have quite a varied background in that I started in for-profit and somehow made myself very, very quickly over to the nonprofit and social enterprise sector. Um, but really working for Coca-Cola and Canadian Pacific Railway and uh, learning about all these best practices in for-profit business and then starting my own company, realizing that all these things I had learned that nonprofits and social enterprises need to know them as well. And how much more complicated it was to then make sure that you had this layer of making sure that you make a social impact being as, or more important than just the financial impact and how complicated that can be. So, um, that happened about, seven years ago and i find it a lot more rewarding and lots of fun working with the united church uh, working with the social innovation challenge uh, launching the social mentor network and just seeing more and more millennials and zers or z gen getting interested in this so lots of fun
0: what about your academic background carla
1: uh, so I do have my undergrad in business, so strategy and marketing at Wilfrid Laurier, um, formerly known as, as, what is it, the Lutheran? used to be a Lutheran school. Waterloo
0: Lutheran <laughs> University.
1: That's right. Um, finished that in Australia, so saw how business was applied differently there. And then also have my master's of business admin, so my MBA at UBC, but then finished that in um well, that was at UBC and then I finished in Shanghai. So again, seeing the international side of business and seeing how business practices in Canada are pretty similar to business practices internationally. So always looking at those patterns.
0: And besides your work with the United Church, you also run a small business, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I uh, run Small Business Solver, which is a social enterprise helping small business owners internationally.
0: And Colleen, let's start with your academic background and then your uh, work experience.
2: All right. Well, also, thank you for having us here. This is a really fantastic time for us to be able to chat. Um, And I am Colleen Lowry, as uh, I have been introduced. Um, My academic background is uh, much different than both yours and Carla's. So, I graduated from the University of Ottawa back in 2012, I think that's right, um, with an undergrad in Women's Studies and Political Science, Uh, and then just this year, um, I graduated from the United Theological College with a Master's of Divinity. So, what that does is that allows me to have the educational background to become an ordained minister in the United Church of Canada.
0: So in terms of work experience, what have you done during your career since uh, early 2000?
2: Since the early 2000s? Well, I spent about five years working in retail, actually, at uh, with the body shop primarily. Um, and I was a sales associate there, so it wasn't a huge deal. but. A lot of what attracted me to that particular company um, was their social conscience. Um, and so what I did with them is, in addition to being a sales associate, I also coordinated um, volunteering for our retail stores um, just in the Ottawa area. Um, and uh, got really involved and interested in training um, our fellow staff at, at just at the local level in the fair trade, uh, products that, that the community or that the body shop had. So that was a really fantastic experience for me. And I guess really got me into, um, the social impacts of business before I even understood that that was going to be important in my life later. Um, cause I, I didn't, I didn't expect that. Um, and then since then I've been really involved in ministry and, and I have been working as a camp chaplain for the past couple of years uh, at a United Church camp, Um, and I will be directing that camp this summer. So that's what I'm doing along with working with Community Innovation Hub.
0: So you both have a little different approach to uh, the work of the Community Innovation Hub. And Carla, you're you're both spiritual or a community of faith, uh, as well as business, and Colleen, you're much more on the spiritual side. Can you both talk about that for a little bit,
2: Colleen? Um, yeah. I mean, in in that you've observed that certainly Carla's strength, um, is in um, really social conscientious business practices and businesses, uh, in, in addition to her spirituality. Um, I would say that my strength and and what I bring to community innovation hub is the pastoral care work, um, that I've been able to develop both as part of my master of divinity and as part of, uh, working with primarily young people, um, at uh the summer camp space um when carla and i met uh what was really i think what really clicked for us um, and possibly why this partnership works really well is that i my my biggest focus is on encouraging folks who are doing fantastic work and i think that too often in our society, we become so isolated that we're just not being seen. And the work that we put in just doesn't get seen and acknowledged um, along the way, like the little steps, not even just, not even the giant successes, but just to have someone that says, I see you and I see what you're doing um, is something that I really value for myself. And so it's something that I really value as something that we can do with Community Innovation Hub as well.
0: And uh, Arla has left us for a minute, so. No,
2: I haven't. I'm here.
0: Okay, (laughs) can you you, uh, comment on the approach that you have, which may be a little bit different than uh, Colleen's?
1: Well, I, I do want to validate what Colleen was talking about. I mean, number one, it's really important in all these churches and thinking about becoming hubs and thinking about themselves as being relevant in community is that's a really courageous and brave step. And so Colleen's work is really pivotal in supporting communities of faith acting in this way because it takes leadership to do that. So that's a really big thing. Um for for my side of things is what we're understanding is, is the scale and understanding that there's literally 30,000 communities of faith across Canada. Um, and then when you open that up uh, internationally or at least within North America, that's exponential from there. Mm-hmm. And so, when we look at 30,000 communities of faith and what percentage of them might actually start trying to act like a hub or be seeking something new and taking on this courageous new step that's very different than what we would perceive as normal church right now. Um, my big focus has been, how do we scale this? Mm. How do we actually build a network approach? What are some of the processes that we need in place? Like what is some of the technology? How do we add capacity in order to really, um, nurture this growing network, nurture this peer support, Um, like what documents, what resources do we have to actually create, and uh, where is our time best used in order to really start scaling this up.
0: And many of these community innovation uh, uh, or communities of faith have unused space. Is that correct, Carla? Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, primarily they were really focused on Sunday morning. Um, originally though, when they first started, it wasn't just Sunday morning. It was more of a community center in many small towns, hamlets, even bigger towns. They were one of the first structures that were actually built being the community of faith building. Um, it could be a temple, a mosque, a church, whatever it is. Um, it's really the first place that people began to gather. In fact, the word congregation literally means gathering. Mm -hmm. So it's a gathering place, a hub the commons. And so um, it started off like that. Uh, some, Sometimes some of the communities of faith got focused on Sunday as the time to gather and the only time to gather. Um, and others are, are now, have always been, or are now really looking at how are we using this building for more than just one hour a week and looking at how many hours a week could it actually be used. And if it is continuing, still in many places, it is the only building left that is the commons. Mm -hmm. It is the only community space. Um, Some places do have libraries. Some places have multiple denominations in them. But, you know, as the world is changing and as it becomes more and more expensive to be maintaining some of these often heritage buildings, there might only be one building left. Um, Not only is, is that a challenge, but in rural, a lot of youth are not staying in small towns rural. They're actually all moving to the urban centers. I think the number was over 60% of the world's population is expected to be in urban in the next five years. I mean, that continues to increase. And so in some of these smaller places, how, how is community still happening? And I think actually if these communities faith in these buildings, that it's going to be the way that it happens in the future. If it's not already that way.
2: Yeah. And I think what Carl is saying um, is something that I'm starting to really just, see over and over again, which I find really interesting, is this idea of innovation as a return to kind of ancient practice. Um, So much of what we're talking about as brand new and innovative um, is looking at how things were done and thinking about how we can return to that space with all the things and the the social issues um, and spiritual issues that we're living with right now. Um, And I think that's a really cool framework. Um, And theologically, it also just makes me really happy. So that's something too.
0: (laughs) Great comments by both of you. Over the last couple of months, can you give me a couple of examples of how you've seen some of that leadership in some of the uh, communities of faith that you've worked with. Colleen, could we uh, could you think of a couple?
2: So the story that I'm really in love with right now um, is with uh, Shelburne Primrose. Um, so they have an overwhelming amount of community organizations that are looking to get involved in some way in that building. Um, they're running music lessons, community dinners, uh, multiple faith traditions are worshiping there. Um, and it just like the list just keeps going and going and going. And they're thinking really seriously about how do we bring all these people that are using our building into relationship with each other, um, so that they can support each other. And, I think the really cool and innovative thing that they're considering is opening up the minister's space so that there's a whole bunch of offices in that space and not just like a minister's study. And I have to say going into ordained ministry, I'm like, but I want my own study, but it's still, I think it's a really great thing. And I really think it's cool to see how they're kind of turning the idea of almost co-working into a community building networking space in there in um to deal with this kind of huge influx of community organizations which what a lovely problem to have
0: okay carla can you think of one in the last couple of months where you've seen some uh, leadership and some innovative activity take place
1: Yeah, I mean, lots. Uh, I I would love to riff off on what's happening in Salmon Arm, and I know Colleen also loves Jenny. Um, And so their big language that they're starting to use is not only the commons and creating an incubator space within their uh, community of faith, but also the idea of eco-commoning. So Salmon Arm being more of a rural area, really connected with nature and the environment, the ecological bottom line, and really ensuring that there is intention towards the uh, environment at the same time and all the work that they're doing. So that's been neat. I do want to really highlight another one, though, that's really emerged based on partnerships and conversations. And I think that that's one trend we're seeing from communities of faith is when they start learning how to say yes to relationships and yes to relationships that are not very traditional for them. Mm -hmm. So uh, Trinity Plymouth is in Sherbrooke, Quebec, and they started uh, about three years ago. They actually did a pitch competition for a new ministry. Uh, They actually won some of the seed funding. Um, It's actually a Francophone ministry that's based in an Anglophone. uh, Traditionally, it was an Anglophone ministry and that's what the building is owned by, but they planted this new ministry um, the two are, have been working. There's building energy on this. And then they said, well, we need more conversations. So uh, we actually connected them with SEDEC, which is Canadian English De- uh, Economic Development for English-speaking Canada. And they've been working with them now for a couple of years on reimagining what their space can be. They've looked at becoming an incubator. They actually had a very large tech company wanting to be one of their funders. The Quebec government actually just launched an uh, an incubator fund. And these are things that now this community of faith, which normally – wouldn't it be talking to a federally funded organization normally wouldn't be looking at government grants would never have had conversations with a tech giant before was starting to say yes to their first relationship which opened up all these other doors for new relationships and they've really moved further they really have a clear idea what they want to be and I'm really excited because they're now changing their governance structure in order to really lean into being this hub
0: great uh, great examples ladies in terms of being a what you call a community innovation hub. Uh, What are the benefits for the community of faith to being a community innovation hub? Carla?
1: So what's the benefits? I think the biggest thing for a church or a community of faith or a temple or a mosque to start thinking in this way, is it's the beginning of thinking about church outside of Sunday or Saturday or whatever their Sabbath is. Um, And it's really the beginning of that mindset shift. So the example of Trinity Plymouth is they said yes to one relationship, which allowed them to say yes to other things. But it's not just saying yes to relationships. It's saying yes to new ideas. So um, we have examples where a community of faith has launched a social enterprise out of their commercial kitchen Um, And then after that happened, they launched a food business out of it. And then after that happened, they put a tent outside of the church um, to actually host theater productions. And after that happened, they started a uh, farmer's market. And after that happened, uh, a local developer wanted to donate the old toilet factory to them. And then after that happened, (laughs) they actually are looking at doing affordable housing. So it's kind of like how do you start saying yes to one thing and it allows like success breeds success, and so the beginning of success is saying yes. Yeah.
0: Okay, but if I'm a a member of the <laughs> community of faith board of directors or whatever the title mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. and I'm uh, 75 years old, what are the yeah. me- what are the benefits? I mean, I, that person is like, quite <laughs> often reluctant to change. And so they have to be sold on some of the benefits of going this way. What are some yeah. of the benefits?
2: I, um, yeah. can, I, can I jump in?
0: Yes, you can. Colleen?
2: I think no matter what faith tradition you come from, um, we're all hoping that we can make the world better. And the opportunity to make the world better doesn't come from staying inside your four walls and not going out and not engaging with the community Um, and expecting people to just show up. It's, it's not going to work. It's not working. It's something that in some ways we keep hoping for, but it's just not, it's, it's not going that way. And we can see that from, social isolation, we can see that from climate change, we can see that from poverty issues, from lack of access to services, any number of things. And I would say the majority, if not like actually all of our scriptures from any faith tradition would prompt us to push us to command us to be serving the people who are, um, most in need. And right now, the people who are most in need are people that are overwhelmed and not connected and not spiritually connected in any way, um, and not community connected and not in relationship. Uh, and so to be a community innovation hub means that you're listening to the outcries of your community for something more and something better and more connection and more relationship and a way to change society as it is now and move forward so that our future generations actually exist even. Um, and I think that would, that that's why, that's why you become a community innovation hub because you need to be out there. Um, and you need to be in your community if we're going to even see any more generations.
0: Thank you, Colleen. Uh- Carla, I've seen on the website that there's some reference to uh, kits and coaching. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what kits and coaching are available to to communities?
1: Yeah, I think what we would say is that we're walking along the path with people. So at the very beginning when Colleen introduced herself and, and I affirmed like this is a courageous step, there's a lot of validation that they are going the right way. So the kits are kind of prompts to help people be inspired by different directions that they could take. And I think that the coaching is ensuring that they are taking the right path. So some of the examples of ways that someone could go is you could consider having an incubator. You could consider doing a design jam to inspire people locally. You could actually create an hood or a co-working space, uh, or a newcomer kitchen, or there's all these different ways that you could use your building in different um, applications with different partnerships. And I think that it's more of a way to inspire them to do this. But the coaching is to make sure that um, we're not, they're not being led astray and that we're walking with them throughout this. We are very intentionally realizing that this is a hard path to take. Um, once you get going, it's a lot easier. For some reason, the trail is better cut when you're a little bit further along. But at the beginning, uh, sometimes it looks like there's multiple paths and maybe it's well-worn in many ways. And so we try and make sure people stay on the right path for them.
0: Okay, thank you. You mentioned uh, a term that I'm not f- familiar with. Could you explain what ag hood is? Um,
1: I think the big thing is, is anything to do with eco-commoning. So the idea of how do we actually make sure that, um, the environment is at the forefront. And so an agrahood is really learning about produce, learning about farming, learning about the land, and how important that is. And so a lot of times people do a community garden and then they're like, "My work is done here. I have a community garden. But an agrahood is really more about how do you do a community garden and actively animate it. So how do you do the programming? How do you actually, Uh, train people do you have like a little festival that's part of this like how do you actually make sure it's not just a garden and that it's actually part of the community
0: okay as a final question to both you uh all of what you've presented is extremely positive but it requires leadership and many of these communities of faith struggle with the term of leadership and so my question is how do you work to overcome that issue of leadership to get the congregations to change? Colleen, I'd like to start that question with you.
2: Um, Well, it's a good question, but it's also maybe a tricky question, so I'm going to ask you to clarify it a little bit more. Um, You're asking about how do we get congregations on board with, um, like the the vision of the leaders? Or because I don't, I'm not sure if I quite understand your question. Is what okay. I'm
0: saying? How do, how do we develop leaders within these spiritual institutions that will be open to these semi-radical ideas that you've outlined in terms of? the various kits and the change, when you have many of the congregations that are in the 60 to 90 age category, Mm -hmm. and how how do they become leaders to affect that change within their own community of faith?
2: I think a lot of conversation. It was funny. I actually was writing about how do you build your team uh, just today Um, And one of the things that I was writing about was to be intentional about who you choose as leaders. And the thing that's wonderful about um, communities of faith is that your formal leaders, your staff, chances are they've connected with a lot of people in the congregation. And so they know what people's talents are um, what inspires people, what drives people. Uh, and so don't just ask generally people, people tend to put this as like a bulletin announcement or a social media announcement or a poster. We're looking for leaders to lead social innovation or vision or new ministry. If you just put that out in the bulletin, no one's going to come and talk to you. Uh, that sounds like a lot of work, (laughs) but if you go and you say, listen, I know you retired from working in a government job. I know you retired from, um, nonprofit organizations that are doing really fine, um, awesome things. I know you recent you for a lot of your working career, you were a farmer. So, you know, a lot of things about the land. Um, these are some things that I, you know, were thinking about as possibilities. I could use your talent to become, to take on that leadership people are going to be a flattered because you've noticed like what they spent their entire lives doing and b, much more willing to jump in on something that they already see as valuable. Um, so that's a really great piece on how do you get leaders to step up in your congregation? Uh, I also think on the young end of young people and things, um, or just any age end of things, when we're actually training leaders, we need to be training them um, for this type of work. And that still isn't necessarily happening in our community of faith schooling. Um, so more emphasis needs to be put on that too.
0: Carla, can you, do you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, I think that Colleen did a great job of saying, like, how, how do you start the leadership? Piece. So it's going to be those internal people um, very clearly um, selected. And so um, one thing that we say is like getting the right people on the bus. That would be from the book good to great. It's like that's what you want to be doing. Um, what we've seen in terms of getting something like this off the ground, you need a core of three people. Five is better. Once you have five, it gets to eight. We see uh, the number one reason why people often don't want to start is they don't feel that they have internal leadership capacity. What we see when someone starts something new is that about 50% of the leaders, uh, so on average a new thing, gets about eight leaders sign up of that. About four of them have never been a leader before that. And of that, about 25% of them are actually not from within the community of faith. Mm -hmm. And that's just the start. So when we say that, oh, it's a leadership capacity, we can't start this, we're already tapped out, well... You know, when you start something new and when you start thinking differently, that's when new leaders show up. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Carla. Thank you, Colleen. It's been a great conversation. And tune in next time for our next podcast. Goodbye for now.